very excited to have with us for the first time in the Arkansas district brother Garrett Robertson Robertson and his wife sister Allison we're so glad that you are here with him he's gonna preach better because of that and so we are we are very glad to have them will you make brother Garrett Robertson will you will you welcome him to this pulpit tonight from Barberton, Ohio, the youth pastor there. Come on, give him a big hand. A warm Arkansas welcome. We're glad that he's here. It is an absolute honor to be in the Arkansas district with you all. I feel like I know Arkansas a little bit, I've got family that is tied to Arkansas. My aunt is from Little Rock, just a little north of here. And I've heard about Arkansas. I've, I've heard years and years, my fam, you know, half of my family traveling down to Arkansas, Little Rock. I've, my pastor, my cousin has preached this camp and it is an absolute honor to be here preaching junior high camp, Paramount 2016. Let's, let's give everyone that put work into this awesome camp hand clap of thank you I'm honored and thankful to everyone who was a part of putting this camp together of course the Arkansas District Superintendent Bishop Anderson thank you so much to him and the entire board of Arkansas for having me down here and then of course Chantry and Heather Dean so thankful for y'all and his awesome team listen stuff like this does not happen just by chance there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes that you're not even aware of. I've been there, done that. It's a lot of work, but it's all so that y'all can have an incredible move of God this week. And that's what we're here for. Can you say amen? To all the leaders, all the presbyters, all the pastors that are here tonight, thank you so much for coming and supporting us here tonight. This camp is all about you getting more of God. The intention is that you would come here. Everything would be prepared. The music would be rocking. The people would be ready. The leaders will be ready to pray. People have prayed, people have fasted. But at this camp this week, the intention is that those who don't have the Holy Ghost, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost this week at camp. Camp just has a unique way of moving people's lives. God's spirit comes into this place. God changes, God calls people to ministry. God calls people to do work in his kingdom and it's going to happen this week. So we're gonna have moves of God. God's gonna call us, God's going to remind us about some things, God's going to speak to us. I just pray that Everyone here would open their hearts to receive what God has for us this week. Amen. Amen. Real quickly, why don't we stand for the reading of God's word? Just a couple verses to open this evening. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 4, 3, and 4, it begins the story of a young man whose life seems put together but the wheels kind of fall off. And we're going to kind of travel and take the journey through Joseph's life. 
see the things that he did, what he encountered, and eventually what happened later in his life. But beginning here in Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 through 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. There's already trouble. Because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated Joseph and could not speak peaceably unto him. Anytime that there are favorites being played, there's a problem. There's a problem. And tonight, for just a few moments, I want to speak on a promise and the problem. Why don't you close your eyes, let's lift our hands, let's pray that God would open our hearts, that we would receive the word that he has for us tonight, and pray that he would call us to a place of prayer and acceptance for what he has called our lives to have in this service. God, I thank you so much for the incredible opportunity that we have tonight. God, that we can be here. God, that we can receive what you have for us in our lives this week. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that those that have come looking, God, for a calling from you, those that are looking for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in their lives, I pray that as we go into this week that we would do everything that we can through our worship, through our prayer, through our receiving the Word of God. Lord, that we would allow our lives to be changed at Junior High Camp 2016 Paramount. We thank you, Jesus. We praise your name, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. God bless you. You may be seated. A problem, a, a promise in the problem. I recognize that to most people here, I'm the new guy. You might be a little uncomfortable. I might be a little uncomfortable. So just to kind of help us out, I'm going to kind of tell you a little bit about me. So, me, who am I? I am from the great state of Ohio. I am admittedly an Ohio State Buckeyes fan. But, 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 whoa, whoa, wait. Before I get booed off the stage, listen, you and I were friends here tonight, all right? Because we have a common enemy, all right? In that God-forsaken land of Tascaloosa. I, I, I'll go ahead and say it. Woo pig suey. Come on. We don't like those guys over there. So we have that in common. I'm fortunate enough to have my beautiful better half with me, Allison. Unfortunately, we were not able to bring our crazy two-year-old with us, Titus, but he's back home with our family. We're fortunate enough to serve as student pastors at the Apostolic Church in Barbara, Ohio. And to this day, four years later, still seems like a dream come true. I've been involved in ministry at our church back in Barberton for many years. My family comes from a place of ministry. That's just kind of what we do. That's what I grew up in. For 28 years of my life, I have done ministry at Apostolic Church. My family back home, they're one of those big, crazy families, all right? So we've got, in all, 33 of us. All 33 of us, 
in church. All 33 of us go to my grandfather's house on Sunday afternoon, and we have Sunday dinner crammed in that living room around this table, and my grandfather sitting at the head of the table every week. We are your typical, traditional family, big, crazy, insane. Growing up, we all lived on one side of the street, like house after house after house. I know what you're thinking. How are you still alive? How did you guys not kill each other? But we are indeed very close. My immediate family, my father, he served as student pastor and then assistant pastor. The house was completely full of boys. I had a younger brother. I had a younger brother. And I was the middle child. Do we have any middle kids in the house? We know, we know the struggle. It's hard. Amen. Absolutely. So being the middle child, I was always the one that was trying to prove that I was better than the golden firstborn son. And I was always exhausting myself that I was better than the spotless lamb that was my little brother, Ross. Always trying to prove that even though I'm stuck in the middle, I'm still a decent kid. And us being boys growing up young on the same street with all of our cousins, we had our moments. We were siblings. We fought. We scrapped. We rolled around. We got angry. One thing that we loved doing to each other was scaring each other. Scaring each other. To this day, I still love to scare, and my wife will admit to that. But I would spend seemingly hours in the closet just waiting for one of my brothers to walk by. It didn't seem to bother my bigger brother at all, but my little brother, I wanted to scare him so bad that he would absolutely begin to cry. It was awesome. That's what we did. We scared each other to death. We would hide under the blankets. We would hide around the corner. We would wait and wait and wait for them to come by so that we could scare each other. We got angry. We were sitting around one day playing Nintendo when all of a sudden, for absolutely no reason, one of my brothers takes one of those stupid, stupid skinny pull sticks and whacked it across the top of my feet. I think the tops of my feet are still broken to this day. We, we were always competitive. We always were fighting on the basketball court. We were always trying to prove that we were bigger, better, stronger. In the backyard playing football. But at the end of the day, we'd always be best friends at the end of the day. With how I grew up, with the family that I had around me, with my brothers that I grew up on Portsmouth Avenue, it's easy for me to understand the situation that Joseph was confronted with in Genesis as we begin to read. Growing up in a home with a bunch of brothers, no doubt there was always competition. Who's the best? Who's the strongest? Who do mom and dad like the best? However, unfortunately, for the other 11 brothers that Joseph had, it was made very clear that Joseph was the favorite. Naturally, Joseph was hated because of this. His brothers despised him because his parents 
and especially his dad, so, showed so much preference to Joseph. He received better presents, given the freedom to do whatever he wanted. No punishments, the golden child. Does that sound familiar to any junior hires here tonight? No, of course not. But the reality was is that Israel did not try to hide his love from his son, Joseph. He treated him differently. He gave an expensive gift to only Joseph. And to make things worse, if his brothers did not hate him enough, Joseph thought that it was a good idea to share a dream that he had with his brothers. A promise, a vision that he saw that essentially went like this. One day, I'm going to rule over all of y'all. And you're going to bow down at my feet. Who's got a sibling? Raise your hand. Would you ever bow down at the feet of your sibling? No, that's crazy. How in the world did Joseph think that this was going to smooth things over in his relationship with his brothers? But yet he just decided, man, I'm going to share this dream with them. I'm going to tell them they're going to bow down at my feet. You can only imagine how much worse that made things. It certainly did not improve his relationship with his siblings at all. Because he shared this vision with them, they hated him even more. They conspired and came up with a plan to kill him, but they changed their mind and rather they sold him as a slave to Egypt. Prior to this moment, Joseph seemed to have a pretty perfect life. It seemed like to this point that Joseph had the big family that we would all love to have. He had a mother and a father who loved him. It was obvious that there was wealth in the family that he could have whatever it was that he wanted. Joseph had it pretty good. Everything was great. However, along the way somewhere, there became evidence of a fracture in Joseph's life. As it was obvious to his other brothers that there was some type of preference there, there began to be a separation between Joseph and his family. Those who were supposed to love Joseph, they betrayed him and they rejected him and they cast him out. They wanted nothing to do with Joseph. Confusion entered into Joseph's mind and as a young teenager, Joseph was given a taste of what defines a dysfunctional family. There developed a problem in Joseph's life. A problem developed, a fracture was made in Joseph's life in the very place that it was supposed to be safe. In a place that everything was supposed to be perfect. In his home to where everything was supposed to be provided. And in a family environment where love was supposed to be given back and forth between parents, between siblings, where he was supposed to have this great relationship with, a fracture was made 
in Joseph's life, in the place that was supposed to be safe, there became a problem in his life. The statistics are real tonight and make it a reality here at Arkansas Junior High Camp 2016 Paramount that there indeed are some problems in our lives tonight. There are students that are experiencing a fracture in the very place that it's supposed to be safe. When you go home at night, there seems to be division. When you go to church, you're supposed to have friends. There seems to be a disconnect. When you go and you learn and you, you're at Sunday school and, and you're involved in ministry, you're supposed to feel this relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. But somewhere along the way, a fracture was developed, a problem that each of us are facing and trying to combat on a daily basis. Statistics say that many, unfortunately, here have already witnessed or will see their parents get a divorce. The one parent home is no longer uncommon, not just across the spectrum of the entire nation, but in the home of Christians and in the homes of apostolics, Pentecostals. The one parent home is becoming more and more common. Rejection is often felt from family, from friends. There seems to be a lack of love. Harsh words of hate we hear. If it's bullying, whatever there is, there begins to be a fracture in our life. And there no doubt are those that are here tonight that have begun to get that taste of the thing that we call life. That no matter what, somewhere along the way, no matter how perfect things may be, no matter how great the situation is that we are faced with, how, how, how awesome our families should be, how great our involvement in the church should be, there's a fracture. There's a problem. There's something that has been inserted into our life that causes us severe pain. Things outside of our control begin to enter into our life. Problems that we did not ask for, that we didn't want to be a part of, are given. But like Joseph, the only thing that we're capable of doing is knowing that we can only fight our problems. The only thing that we can know to do is that we can hold on to the idea that God has something better for our lives. It does not matter what you're facing tonight. It does not matter what kind of problem you have in your life. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future of hope. What you are facing today is not what God intends for you to wake up to tomorrow. What you came here at junior high camp with, whatever problem or whatever fracture that you had in your life, like Joseph, the intention of God is that you go home and things are different. That you wouldn't go home facing the same things that you came here with. God knows what he thinks about you. He has great plans for your life. It doesn't matter where you find yourself at tonight. God has something for you.
The only thing that we can do in the middle of our problem is understand that God has a promise in the problem, that God has a promise for something better for us, that no matter what, I can turn to God and know that he has a solution. And so we do just that. We come to church, we pray, we're filled with the Holy Ghost. Maybe things begin to look a little bit better. But unfortunately, after facing things in our life, we are faced with the effect of additional pain. For Joseph, it did not stop at his brothers hating him. It did not stop at being sold into slavery. Because Joseph knew that there was a promise in the middle of his problem, he continued to live right. He continued to do the right things. He continued, if you will, to show up the church and to do everything that he knew to do to overcome the challenges that he was faced with. Because he did everything right. Because he knew that there was a promise. Because he kept a positive attitude. He was given a position of power in Potiphar's house. He lived with integrity. Life was getting better. He was beginning to learn how to deal with the pain and the problems that life had given him until once again, everything came crashing down. Falsely accused of adultery and placed into prison, Joseph seemingly, his life getting better, the rug was pulled out from underneath him and once again, Joseph found himself in a defeating position. Often it is not the problem, but rather the results of that problem that come back for round two on our life. Joseph himself was imprisoned by rock and by steel, but for us tonight, the things that we have faced, the problems that we deal with on a daily basis, we are not imprisoned by steel or by rock, but rather we are imprisoned by our thoughts our questions of our self-worth, our emotions. Because there are many students here tonight, statistically, that are dealing with depression, that don't know how to deal with the pain of what has happened in their life that is outside of their control. If you look to your left and to your right, the chances are either those two or one of you are facing depression in your life dealing with some type of disorder that has caused anxiety, that have caused a lack of confidence in your life. There are some here tonight that have an eating disorder, not because they thought, this is what I'll do, but there's something in their past that caused a problem, that caused a fracture. And because of that situation, questions begin to go around in your mind. Students are fighting rejection. Students are fighting confusion, questioning your self-worth, trying to figure out if they even belong. It's a battle that has taken us away from the things of the natural. And round two that the devil gives us brings the battle to a spiritual battlefield 
One to where we begin to question truth. One that we begin to think that even if God is real, why in the world would he have this happen in my life? What is the purpose behind this? At this point, it's no longer the divorce that we're dealing with, but rather it's the nonstop question of if you were the cause of it all. What did I do? Did they not love me? Why did my friends turn their back on me? Why did people say those hateful words to me? Any time that the enemy has the ability to take the battle out of the things of this natural world and place it in a supernatural, spiritual battle, that is a place to where we need to make sure that we know that our God is there fighting for us. Because in John chapter 10 and verse 10, we read that the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The words of Jesus Christ said that the enemy is going to try to, to plant thoughts into your minds that say that you're not worthy, that you're not worth anything, that things that have happened in your past completely disqualify you from doing anything in the kingdom of God. But what God's word says is while the enemy will try to destroy you with spiritual things, with thoughts, with questioning, God says that I have called you to a place of life that despite what you're facing, that you're able to live life and you're able to live it more abundantly. While you can be sure that life will happen, we need to be aware that the enemy is going to use life to try and trap us in prison of our own thoughts. Some have come tonight to Paramount this week with questions of whether or not you're worthy. Whether or not that calling that God has already placed on your life. Well, now someone's messed it up for me. Now I'm questioning even if I'm able to do what God has called me to do. Even as young as you are tonight, there are questions of whether or not you have the ability to be the preacher, to be the worship leader, to teach that Bible study at your school, to start that P7 club that God has called you to start. You question whether or not you're worthy of serving your church, of being a musician, of becoming a teacher or even obtaining the call and the promise that God has for all of us and being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm just not worthy. My life is too messed up. I've made bad decisions. Others around me have made bad decisions. I'm not worthy to what God has for me. We begin to question, we begin to ask. Even though we felt the call and the promise of God, even though he's given you that dream, because of what life has given you, because of the problems that you face, you feel disqualified. But tonight, as we look back over the life of Joseph, and we fast forward a few years in his life, we find Joseph no longer in a prison of rocks 
steal. No longer is those things of his past of false accusations of the hate determining where he is in life. But now we find Joseph second in command in Egypt. He's in a position of power with pending famine coming upon the entire region. Joseph is in a position to where he is being used to save the lives of many, including his own family. So somewhere along the line, even though Joseph had this problem in his life, even though he was falsely accused, even though he served as a slave, even though he was trapped in prison, somewhere along the way, Joseph and his life flip sides and no longer was his life determined by his past. But now something has changed. Something has shifted. How in the world did this happen? How did Joseph get out of this perpetual tailspin? How did he get away from his problems? What did Joseph do that took him out of that prison and put him into a place of power? Being used and chosen by God to save the lives of many, including his family. In Genesis chapter 41, 50 through 52, we read this. And Joseph, and to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came. And Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. I believe that in these few verses, here lie the answer as to why Joseph was able to overcome the things of his past and get to a place to where he was serving and fulfilling the will that God had for his life. Somewhere deep down in that dark prison when he was locked away, battling on that, that mental battlefield, that spiritual battlefield against the enemy of whether or not he was worth anything. He dealt with a past to where his family hated him. He dealt with anger. He dealt with issues. He dealt with bitterness. But somewhere in that prison, Joseph understood there's a reason why I'm facing this in my life. Joseph understood it did, he did not know where it was going to take him, but he knew that there was a promise in this problem that he faced. And he made up his mind that I'm going to turn it over and I'm going to give it to God. No longer can I deal with the pain no longer can I deal with the thoughts. No longer can I continue to question of whether or not I'm worth anything. Joseph made up his mind to give it all over to God. Manasseh, the name of Joseph's firstborn son, 
for God has allowed me to forget all my toil. Now that word toil, as you begin to look into it, as you begin to understand that, this, this word toil literally means the hurt, the pain, the suffering, the betrayal, the bitterness, the questions of self-worth, the questions of whether or not he could even continue his life. Joseph, declaring by the name of his firstborn son, said that because I turned everything over to God, he knew that he no longer had control of his life. His father was no longer there to determine whether or not he could continue, whether or not he could get out of prison. His dad was not there to protect him. But Joseph knew that the only one that had complete control over his life was God. Joseph did not forget the actual events of what happened. Joseph did not forget that his brothers hated him. Joseph did not forget that he was sold into slavery. Joseph did not forget that he was falsely accused, but rather because he turned everything over to God, he was able to forget the pain that his problems caused. He was able to let go of the anger. He was able to let go of the bitterness. He was able to let go of the confusion. He was able to let go of the idea and the thoughts that he wasn't worthy to do anything for God. And it's because he had his firstborn son, Manasseh, that he was then able to have his secondborn son, Ephraim. Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful, or God has made me to be a contributor in the land of my affliction. Joseph ended up experiencing things in his life that he never would have imagined. Things that were absolutely outside of his control. Things that resulted in him being enslaved, being in prison, being accused. Joseph, being a child of Israel, ended up in a land where God was not respected. The last place that Joseph would have ever thought that his life would take him would be Egypt. But nonetheless, Joseph's life placed him where he never thought that he would be. And he faced things that he thought that he was immune to that would never happen. Tonight, there are students that are facing things that as little as one year ago, you would have said, no way. That will never happen to me. I'll never have to deal with depression. I'll never have to deal with questioning my self-worth. I'll never have to deal with my parents not showing me enough love. I'll never have to deal with my friends turning their back on me. I'll never have to deal with coming to church week after week 
longing and craving and desiring God to fill me with the Holy Ghost only to leave church without receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. There are battles that are being fought tonight that just a short time ago we thought would have never happened. At the onset of my sermon tonight, I painted the picture of what my family looks like today. But the reality is, is that the brushstrokes that brought me to where I'm at are not as picture perfect as what it seems like today. I'll never forget on December 15th, 2003, sitting on this green chair in the corner of my living room to the left of my fireplace with a laptop opened on my lap, playing games, doing homework, whatever it was. But I was focused on what was going on. And in the background, I begin to hear my father speak. My father, currently serving then as the assistant pastor, formerly the student pastor. My father, who was of course my idol, my mentor, who had taught me everything in my life, sitting there on that chair on December 15th, 12 and a half years ago. I overheard and began to talk. He wasn't really directing it to anyone. It was just him, myself, my older brother, and the house. And I heard these words, your mother and I are thinking about separating. In that moment, my life began to crash down all around me. In that moment to where my family was so perfect, where my father was serving in ministry, knowing the family that I came, back, came from with a background that has deep roots in church and ministry, thinking that everything was perfect. I remember the feeling that came over me on that day when I heard those words, your mother and I are getting a divorce. Whatever was going on on that laptop screen, whether it was homework, whether it was a game, it immediately ceased to grab my attention and I just sat there and I began to cry because I thought there's no way that this would happen to me. That evening, he and my mother talked. It would be best for the kids if we worked it out. So for a week, that's the only thing, the only conversation that happened around the house of whether or not my mother and my father were going to be separated. All the while, my younger brother, seven years old at that time, everyone was hiding it from him because they didn't want to hurt him. And for a week, that was the weight that set upon my shoulders until December 22nd, three days before Christmas, three days before my family would get together, not just my immediate family, but my entire family was getting together. Three days before Christmas, 
my dad walked out of the home on Portsmouth Avenue for the last time, leaving me, my two brothers, and my precious mom never to walk through those doors again. He had decided that this was not where he wanted to spend life, but rather he wanted to go and do life elsewhere, however he wanted without us. Months went by before I even heard his voice again. Years went by with only a handful of conversations. There was an absence of a father in my life and I was faced every single day. How in the world did this happen? I never thought that my life would take me here. I never thought that I was going to have to live life in a broken home, in a home to where there was only one parent. My father was in ministry. He was a pastor of our church. How in the world could this happen to me? Soon after, it wasn't the fact that my father walked out the door, but it was the pain that I felt. It was the rejection that I felt. It was the depression. It was the questions about myself. It was the questions. Even though my family was founded and grounded in church, questioning whether or not there was even a God, because if there was, why would he let this happen to me? But there came a point in my life where I had no other choice but to turn my problem over to God. And he took away the pain. He took away the toils, the things that resulted from the problem in my life. I turned it over to God because I couldn't do it by myself any longer. Because even though my life seemed riddled with problems, I knew that God had a promise for me. God had placed a promise. God had placed a calling on my life that could not be destroyed by anything. I knew that despite what I was dealing with, the broken home that I came home to every single day thereafter, December 22nd, 2003, I knew that God had called me to the same place that he had called my entire family to serve his kingdom. No matter what it was that I was facing, no matter the pain that I faced, no matter the results of the problems that I had in my life, I knew that there was a promise that God had for me. As we stand tonight, as the musicians come, tonight there are students here. There are junior high students that are questioning everything. But the reality is this, God has a plan for you. God has a calling that he has placed on your life. God intends for you to do great things in his kingdom. There's a promise in your problem. No matter where you find yourself tonight, just like Joseph in his life, he arrived at a place where he thought he would never get to. things that he faced that he never thought that he would deal with but despite all of that regardless of things that resulted 
from the fracture that happened in his home, the problem that he faced in his life, the questions, the bitterness, the anger, the depression. Despite him waking up day after day, no doubt not wanting the food that was placed before him because he was so overcome by the things that this life had given him. But there came a moment in time to where he was able to turn his entire life over to God. Even though those that were closest to him had turned their back on him and sold him into slavery, even though he questioned his self-worth, Joseph always turned back to God. God. He would always go to the place that he knew that he would find comfort. Where he knew that there was something that he was called to do. Even finding himself in Egypt. He knew that God had placed him there for a reason. And I've come to tell you all here tonight that no matter where you find yourself, no matter what you're facing tonight, no matter what you've dealt with in your past, no matter what has happened in your home, no matter what has happened in your friendships, no matter about anything, there is a promise from God in the midst of whatever it is that you're facing tonight. There is a promise in your problem. There are those here tonight that, no doubt, even at a young age, have, call, have felt the call of God on their life. But you question whether or not you can do it. You question whether or not you have the capability. You wonder whether or not you can actually deliver on what God has placed on your life. Maybe it's because of a decision that you've made. Maybe it's because of something that has happened in the home. But I'm here to tell you tonight that there's a promise in the problem. And it does not matter whatever it is that you're facing. God has a calling for your life. God has a position of ministry for you. God has a position to become a worship leader at your home church. God has the ability to put you in a place to where you become fruitful where we become a contributor to the revival that is about to break loose in the Arkansas district because of the youth that are represented here tonight. There's a calling that is going forth tonight. Even to those that have a problem, but maybe they don't know what specifically the will of God is for their life. There's still a call that goes out to let you know that God can overcome whatever it is that you're facing tonight. That God can deliver you from the questions and the pain and the hurt. God can take away what has resulted from things outside of your control. There's a promise in your problem tonight. And at the very least, the one who is seeking the ultimate promise of God, the gift of the Holy Ghost, but feels like there's a roadblock separating you and what God has for you, 
God wants to take away whatever it is is preventing you from receiving what God has for your life. I've come here tonight at Paramount 2016 to let some junior hires know that it doesn't matter what you face. It does not matter the pain that you deal with on a daily basis. It does not matter the things that people have done to you. The only thing that matters is that God has a calling for your life, that God wants to use you in his kingdom. God wants to call you to a place of ministry. God wants you to be a great contributor to what he's doing in your church there is a promise in your problem tonight and so tonight I want every single person every single student that's in this place to step out of your chairs tonight and I want you to begin to come down to this altar and what we're going to do tonight is we're going to begin to